All right. Hey guys, welcome to uh, episode three of the Finding Your Purpose podcast. I have uh, Lisa Bowman here, <laughs> and uh, yeah, like, like you know, we were talking like a little bit before uh, I hit the record button, and she has an amazing story to share for uh, us. Uh, Lisa, would you mind going ahead, just kind of giving like a brief like introduction about like uh, who you are and what you do? Sure, happy to. Thanks for having me. By the way, um, I am Lisa Bowman, and by background, I am a architect and a brand evangelist. So I've spent my career working in marketing, building for brands, converting people to brands, um, and in 2022, actually a few months ago, I added a new title uh, to my resume, which is that of author. I wrote my first book. Um, and released it on Amazon. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting journey. It's it's always cool when you make a pivot and do something different, or you do something that you weren't sure if you could do in the first place. I love it, and I love how uh, you know, like you added that title of like you're you're like now an author now. <laughs> it's always a nice feeling to, to have, and we're gonna dive deeper into that as we go deeper into the podcast. But uh, one question I love asking all my guests is like. How was your childhood life? Like, where did you grow up? But like, what was like your uh, hobbies? Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So I grew up probably your average normal kid. Um, grew up in Chicago. And, you know, as a kid, I very early developed a love for travel. Um, there's a whole big world out there. And I, I took my first international trip when I was in high school. Um, and that kind of stoked my love for going to other countries and experiencing their cultures. Mm -hmm. And because of COVID, I haven't left the country for almost three years. Um, but I'm chomping at the bit to go somewhere. My last trip was actually to Cambodia mm -hmm. um, in summer of 2019. Um, so I love to travel. I love to read. Um, which sounds kind of nerdy, right? Growing up, there were always those book kids who loved to read, mm -hmm. but that was me because it was learning for me. Um, and I would kind of be lying if I didn't say that retail therapy is a huge hobby too. I love fashion. I love beauty and wellness stuff. Um, so I have aspirations one day later in life of maybe being a fashion blogger mm -hmm. and um, content creator. Uh, but, um, yeah, I am working out. Like I love to work out. I've always worked out since I was a kid. Um, but I love to be outside. I love to be active. I love to move my body because I think that's a gift that we have every day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we forget about that. It's really easy to camp out on the couch with a bag of potato chips or, oh, yeah. <laughs> or some Twizzlers, right. And go, yeah, I'll get up and do something later. But for me, um, I got to move my body. Um, so my, my 40th birthday gift to myself, and I'm probably going to age myself here, but my 40th birthday gift to myself was to get certified as a kickboxing instructor, just to prove that I could do it. All right. I like it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love how your um, um, shirt, like inside the house, is nice on like those rainy days, but like when it's sunny, we got to be outside doing gotta something. Be outside. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Got to be outside moving my body. And if I'm not doing it outside, I'll do it inside. So I usually start my day with a workout because sometimes the day can slide away from you. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, right, five o'clock, six o'clock, eight o'clock, whatever it is, you're like, eh, I don't think I'm going to work out. So for me, that's mission number one in the morning get up, do it, make sure I check that box. And then if I've got it in me, sometimes I do a second one. Wow. That's, yeah, that's insane. For me, I, I, <laughs> yeah. for me, I'm doing workouts. I can't do them in the morning. 
I have to do mine in the evening. I don't know. I, I guess I'm a night owl. I guess that's the way, like, <laughs> I guess like how I do it. I used to be a night workout person. And then what I found is that with my travel schedule from work, I was traveling a ton mm -hmm. and sometimes I just wasn't getting it in. And like some people, if they don't eat, they get hangry. For me, if I don't work out, I just get mean. I have to work out. <laughs> um, so I was like, you know what? The only way to make sure this happens is by doing it in the morning. Like I get up and that's my time for me in the morning before I start my day. Mm -hmm. um, so the phone goes away. I'm completely focused on that workout on my body. Um, I'm taking that time for me because during the day, I give a lot of me to other people. So that's my time in the morning. I love that mindset. Just kind of like being, uh, just like self-care, you know, like just, 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 just like focusing on yourself, put yourself, uh, as, as like a number one priority. I love that. You have to, <laughs> I mean, if I, if I'm going to be my best self and give as much as I can of me to other people, I have to take care of me. And mm -hmm. so that starts like some people get up, they journal in the morning. Some people get up and meditate or they do affirmations. But for me, it's getting up and moving my body and kind of recognizing the gift that's my mm -hmm. ability to do that and building strength. And I would say that over the past couple of years, that building strength has been really, really important to me, mm -hmm. given the journey that I've been on. There were a lot of times when I really didn't feel very strong, but mm -hmm. working out and developing that physical strength, I think also helped with my mental strength. Mm -hmm. That's crazy how you say that, because... Um... I, like uh, I'm only 21 years old. I'm 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 still not too far out of high school, <laughs> but like um, I love running, but I always hated track. I love cross country, and my I guess the reason behind that was because like with cross country, once you start running, you don't stop until you're at that five mile mark, seven mile mark, or ten mile mark or whatever. But with track, I'd, I'd always um, I could do it, but I never liked how like I give it my all and then I stop for like two or three minutes and then keep on doing that like ten times. I'd always, um, I don't know, I, I guess like my workouts kind of reflect how the way, how I think and like, uh, just, just kind of like, it's, it's crazy how it, uh, I don't know, I guess like that affected my, like, I guess like mental process, the way how I did things and also, um, it's literally running away from my problems. So it's helped me. <laughs> so, you know, that's, what, that's what I like saying for that, but yeah. It's yeah. It's funny that. how, it's funny how a workout can sort of be a metaphor for what you're dealing with, right? You talked about not running in circles on a track, mm -hmm. right? But running linear cross country mm -hmm. and maybe running away from problems. Yeah. <laughs> me, the workout is really about building that physical strength to make sure that I had the mental strength. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in a way, sometimes that's just a metaphor for how we're, how we're managing stuff. Yeah. It's crazy how uh, um, I took this one self-development course. It said like how you do one thing is how you do everything. And when you look at it, it's so true. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's crazy because I was listening to a podcast three days ago and uh, for like, it was four hours long and for a big segment of it, they're talking about workouts. And I was like, oh, I'm not interested in workouts, but I never thought I'd catch myself talking about it <laughs> on my own podcast. <laughs> and here we but, are. I know, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I guess I want to go, I guess like more into like the reason why I got you on here to talk about your book, uh, Harassle. Um, am I saying that right, by the way? You are. You <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing some pronunciation before uh, hopping the camera just to make sure that and your name to make sure I had that correctly. But um, I guess like as you're prog progressing through your professional career, because I was looking through your website and, you know, you said you were 
uh, um, like doing your dream job. And then like, as you're going through career, like um, some roadblocks came up, which inspired you to like, um, um, inspired, like, I guess like write the book, Harassle. Could you elaborate more on that as far as like, what? Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, um, so just by way of background, right. And I know we've jumped around a lot, but I spent 15 years at UPS in a variety of senior level marketing roles. Um, and for my last five years, I was in the UPS foundation. So when we talk about purpose, right, I had kind of found mine. I have the awesome intersection in my job of purpose and profit using the funds of a big fortune 50 company to do good in the communities that ups worked in and that mm -hmm. upsers lived in um but fast forward i got recruited from that job by united way which is for people that may not know it united way is the world's largest nonprofit they are a four and a half billion dollar global nonprofit that works in three areas health education and financial stability and i wasn't looking to leave ups but this was honestly like my dream job to go use what i do as a marketer to make sure that somebody somewhere that I was never going to meet probably was going to have a better tomorrow <clears throat> because of the work that I did today or yesterday to market the organization, to raise funds, to enable us to do our programming. And so I left UPS. I took this job. It was honestly like I was loving life. Um, mm -hmm. Did not care that I was working 60 to 70 hours a week, right? It didn't mm -hmm. feel like work because I loved what I was doing. And so about two years into my job, um, I was asked to interview a candidate for a role on our executive team, somebody that would have been a peer to me. And when I interviewed uh, this person, he was really inappropriate during the interview. A mm -hmm. um, lot of red flags came up and I shared that with my boss who was the CEO of the organization. And they proceeded to hire him anyway. Um, and from the minute that this guy started, and I, I was going to say gentleman, but that would be a complete fabrication if yeah. I were to him this gentleman. <laughs> um, but from the minute that he started, he began to harass me. Um, it was always comments about my physical appearance, never about my work product or the value that I brought or a thought process, always about how I looked. Um, and... So fast forward, uh, I had two young women on my team, women of color, that came to me in early 2019 and shared with me that they had both had experiences with this person as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'd been dealing with this for about 15 months, had just tried to navigate it on my own. Um, but when these two women came to me, you know, that was the point where I had to go to HR for two reasons. Number one, I was obligated to by policy, right? Mm -hmm. We had a policy that said, if you even suspected harassment or if anybody brought it to you, you had to go to HR. And if you didn't do that, then there would be consequences for you um, up mm -hmm. to and possibly including losing your job. So by policy, I was obligated to do it, but by person, I was obligated to do it too, right? Mm -hmm. These were young women, young women of color. Um, this guy was an older white male. And quite frankly, they weren't going to go to HR. They weren't going to raise the issue. He was way senior to them. Um, they were terrified. And, you know, for me, even if I hadn't been obligated by policy, 
When I have young women on my team that are faced with this, and particularly young women of color against a white man, mm-hmm. um, I, from a leadership perspective, I felt like it was incumbent on me to make sure that HR protected them. Mm-hmm. And so I went to HR, um, was told that they would handle the situation. Two weeks later, this guy crossed a line with me and I ended up having to go back to HR on my own behalf. Mm -hmm. And from that minute on, um, I had a target on my back from the CEO who spent the better part of 2019 retaliating against me for Mm -hmm. raising an issue with, you know, his boy um, and trying to get me to quit. So it was everything from taking my staff away, but not taking the work away, cutting me out of key meetings, um, just everything that this guy could do to try and get me to quit. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think um, he miscalculated because he didn't understand how I'm wired and Mm -hmm. I wasn't about to quit. So when he couldn't get me to quit in early 2020 um, as his final act of retaliation, he terminated me. Um, and I found myself for the first time in my life out of a job for no reason other than I had done the right thing and followed process. And this literally happened like three weeks before the world tilted sideways with COVID Mm -hmm. in March of 2020. And so, you know, we talked a minute ago about working out and building that strength, um, as the world kind of closed up. My classes from my gym moved online to Zoom, which gave Mm -hmm. me the ability to actually start working out more. And that was really important to me in that time because I had just had this massive change happen to me professionally. And then we had all this craziness going on in the Mm -hmm. world, right? With this disease that basically stuck everybody in their houses. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it was a pretty tumultuous year, but all of that said, Um, you know, I had somebody come to me in 2021, there was a a lot of media coverage on the case, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but Mm -hmm. as a result of that media coverage, um, I had a publisher come to me and ask if I wanted to write a book. And initially I kind of laughed and I sent them away. I was like, thank Mm -hmm. you so much for reaching out, but write a book. No, I'm absolutely not doing that. And they were like, well, why not? We think this is really important. And I said, well, like three reasons. Number one, I'm not a public figure. Like nobody knows who I am. Why would I write this book and who's going to read it? Um, Second thing is that I didn't know if I wanted to walk back through the whole experience again, emotionally. And the third thing was, and, you know, as a content creator, I'm sure you can relate to this, right? When you talk about content, it's no different with a book. I'm like, talk to me about content. What's the word count? How many pages are we talking about? What does Mm -hmm. writing a book look like? And they said, oh, probably like 200 pages, 50,000 words. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I like, I can't write that. That's crazy. Um, (laughs) It's a lot of content, right? So you talked about listening to a four hour podcast. That's a lot of content. Uh And I was like, I I don't think I've got that in me, but thank you so much for calling. And if I change my mind, I'll hit you up. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I sent them away. And then a few weeks later, I woke up on a Monday morning, like I'll never forget this. I woke up on a Monday morning, had my cup of coffee, had my laptop and finished my workout, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
maybe I should write my story down just to help me as a narrative with remembering key details because all of my stuff that I had about it was more formal documentation, right? It was notes about this happened on this day or whatever, but not in a story format that would allow me to share that story with somebody, either written or spoken in narrative form. And so I started writing that morning. And once I started, I couldn't stop. I wrote 5,000 words that day. Man. Yeah. It just like, it, 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 it wait, just wait, hold on, write or type? I'm typing, typing. Okay, all right. But it just, yeah, not, not handwriting. So when I say writing, right, it's like old school, but yeah, typing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I literally wrote 5,000 words that day and I just, I couldn't stop. And so that was on a Monday. By Thursday, I had written 15,000 words and I contacted the publisher and I said, hey, I, I still don't think I want to do a book, but I've written something. And in case I changed my mind, would you look at it and tell me what you think? And so I sent it to them. They came back and they were like, uh, yeah, it's exactly what we had in mind. Like, please keep going and let us know if you change your mind. And so I kept going and I kept writing, mm -hmm. typing. Um, and in July of 2021, I had enough of a draft that I decided I was actually going to do this. Um, not from the perspective of necessarily outing my former employer, but more from the perspective of sharing my story so that other people could recognize that story if they were on a similar journey and understand how to navigate it. I had learned a tremendous amount in the course of what I went through mm -hmm. that I didn't know. And I was like, in here, there are lessons. Like you don't go through a sexual harassment experience and not come out of that with learning and value. Because if you don't, right, then it makes that experience just a really horrible experience. And that's not to say it wasn't horrible, but if I couldn't figure out a way to find value or purpose in what I went through, then it was just a really meaningless, bad experience. If I could find some value or find something in it that would help me or help others, then that experience had a purpose and it had some meaning. Mm -hmm. And that's really what led me to write the book. I love it. And I love how you uh, kind of like that last little bit you were saying about like when you, uh, if you go through something and you don't learn something from it and more importantly, share what you learn for other people, uh, like what's the point of you going through it? As you were yeah. saying that I had, um, I went through like, um, it's like a bad relationship like three years ago. Uh, it, it's kind of like probably not on the same level as as, as, as the situation you were in, but like um, uh, there was that phase where I had like um, went through it, kind of wanted to be quiet about it. Like just wanted to like, just like the denial phase, you know, not the, the denial phase. I started writing things down because I was afraid of, um, I don't know, like I'm a weird person. Like, uh, <laughs> like I, I got to write stuff down because I'm afraid I'm going to forget. Like, just like, those small key details, like kind of like that, that really makes a story, you know, and as I'm writing it down and uh, more importantly, observing other people around me going through that same situation, I'm like, oh shoot, I got to go. I got to start sharing my story. So that's, that's crazy how you, <laughs> you yeah, with that same uh, uh, process, not, not, not same situation, but like same process in a different situation. So I know you're doing the interview, but my question for you is what did you learn from your experience? 
Uh, <laughs> it's a long story, but, uh, you know, like to really sum it up, just really looking for, like, as you're saying, those red flags. So you remember how you're saying when you're at, uh, when you're uh, interviewing this potential candidate, right? Just, uh, he was just, just dropping like red flags all over the place. And if you, um, if you really ignore those, those have like, uh, uh, I don't want to say sets the conditions for the relationship, but just but just like ignoring those red flags, you're uh, you're gonna pay a lot. You know, <laughs> long story short. So long, yeah. So yeah, like don't 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 ignore those red flags. They're so now really you important. know what to look for next time, right? Yep. Uh huh. So that experience yep. held value to you. It, it was educational, and you learned something, right? Sometimes it's tough to go through it when you're in it, but when you look back and you're like, you know what? there was value in that because I got something out of it. I, I learned what those red flags are and I learned what I will or won't put up with mm-hmm. or accept in the next relationship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. That, yep. That's what I learned from that. So uh, as you're, I guess like as you're going through the book writing process, uh, were you afraid of like any like pushback or criticism as you were like speaking your voice? Yeah, I think um you know, I think anytime you share something about yourself, you put yourself in a position of vulnerability. And for me, I'm one of those people that I don't like, you won't see what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. So I was showing up for work every day during all of this, smile on, doing my job 110%, but mm-hmm. inside dying because I was dealing with this, mm-hmm. right? And so, I think that this notion of putting myself out there, of writing the book, mm-hmm. of exposing a crack in what looked like, oh, here's this person at the pinnacle of her career, you know, and like, I would have people say, oh my gosh, I'm seeing what you're doing on, you know, LinkedIn or something, and your life looks amazing, but mm-hmm. you never really know what's happening on the inside. And so I think there's always that fear of feeling vulnerable, of feeling like you failed, Um, In this situation, right, with sexual harassment, I think the big thing is that you worry about people thinking, well, she must have done something to bring Mm -hmm. that on, Um, right? And and having spoken with so many women that have been through this, that's real, right? We gaslight ourselves into thinking, did I do something to send off a wrong signal? Did I wear something? And let me tell you, like, it doesn't matter what signal you sent off. It doesn't matter, candidly, what you wear. Um, We all have a right to a safe and dignified workplace, Mm -hmm. free of harassment and discrimination and all of the other crap that happens in a workplace. So, yeah, it was a little scary. um, But I think that what got me through it was the knowledge that I knew I suspected, I don't think I knew, I suspected that that content would be helpful to somebody Mm -hmm. somewhere, Mm -hmm. right? And that made it worth taking that risk for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when I went public with the story in November of 2020, immediately, and that was scary, like really scary, you know, all of a sudden, this is all over the media. Um, I hadn't even told my dad what had happened. My dad just thought I got laid off from my job. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell him what had happened. And so the night before all the media broke, I had to call my dad and I'm like, listen, 
there's going to be stuff in in all the media tomorrow. I'm like, I, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really, really hard for me to do. And so I think that after the media broke and I started to have people reach out to me and mm-hmm. say, oh my gosh, like me too. Thank you so much for speaking up or I wish I was that brave. That gave me some strength too, mm-hmm. right? And so with the book, um, it wasn't quite as scary, I think, as the, the initial launch in the media. But um, I think I got my strength from the people that came to me and told me that I had helped them. And again, mm-hmm. that makes it all worth it, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to take a risk and put yourself out there in the spirit of helping somebody else. And that was really the why, the purpose behind the book. Mm-hmm. I love how you say how... Uh... Just like once you like once that first person comes to you and like the words that I that the words that came out of your mouth, you know, not 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 no one else's, but like your mouth and like just watching it, like uh, they came to you, like yo, like I like because of you, I was able to get out of the situation or get to my desired situation, whatever. It just um um sounds like you went through that experience. I went through that experience too. In other ways, it just makes you uh. Just like when you go to bed at night, you just feel like you're important in the world. That that, that like you have like a like a purpose to be here and like mm-hmm. people to help out. And I guess my next question for you is, um, you don't have to share like any like specific stories, but like what 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 were like some of like your favorite stories that like stood out to you as far as the like, people just coming up to you, uh, whether it be like in person or or over like digitally. Yeah, all, it's almost all of it's been digital, right? Because of COVID. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say that the very first text that I got after the media broke, right? So there were kind of these two flashpoints. One was the media. Mm-hmm. The second was the book. But the first flashpoint for me with the media is the very first text that I got was from a young woman um, who worked at the same organization, actually worked on my harassers team and left under some very suspicious circumstances. And I always suspected that he had created an issue with her too. Um, The very first text that I got when that media broke was from her. And what she said was, thank you for giving a voice to all of us who had to remain silent. So that kind of confirmed my suspicion that he had been harassing her as well. After the media broke, um, there was also a scenario where more than 20 former female employees wrote a letter to the board and basically said to the board, you know what, the experiences that we read about are not unique to Lisa. During our tenure at that company, and none of them had worked there when I was there, Um, so they'd all had these experiences with different people because my harassment was not there when they were there. But Mm -hmm. this speaks to the CEO and the culture that he emboldened within that place. But these 20 women came forward, wrote a letter to the board and basically said, each of us has either personally experienced or witnessed this very same behavior. And this has been going on for decades. And so again, none of them spoke up. Um, So the fact that number one, there was some validation from me that like this had been going on for ages. And number two, that those women didn't speak up and I had been able to finally bring a voice forward 
but what they had endured was really important to me. And then with the book, I would say that there has not been a single week, and sometimes there are days every week that I get a message from somebody that tells me that they read the book, it's helped them in some way, it's inspired them, it's empowered them. And like, that's, that's what I did this for. Yeah. Right. And sometimes I get those messages. Um, and it just like, it almost makes me want to cry, because like my heart is full. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you you find your purpose, and you realize that we have this whole big world, right. Yeah. And through this awful experience that I went through, mm -hmm. I have the ability to reach out to somebody I don't know and impact them in a positive way. Like that's crazy to me, crazy, mm -hmm. amazing. Um, but that's like the coolest thing to me, right? Is that because of digital today and social, like I don't know this person, but they heard about the book, they bought the book, it helped them in some way. And now they're connected with me. Mm -hmm. And it makes you realize that as big as the world is, the world's actually really small because I've just found somebody else that's had the same experience mm -hmm. as me that I never would have met if it wasn't for sharing that experience. Mm -hmm. What you gotta do is you gotta, um, take all those uh just like uh thank you messages and these success stories and you gotta like uh like go in your bedroom and just like like have like a like a wall as <laughs> you wake up in the morning um and and it's just like just just like you're uh like i don't know for me i have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning so by me seeing that on my wall i'm like shoot i got i got people to go help you <laughs> exactly and for a while i was posting them on linkedin because i was sharing them right and i was like listen you know, here's how this is helping other mm -hmm. people. Um, but I also have some of them that are kind of printed out and scattered around, right? So that if I'm having one of those moments, um, mm -hmm. right? We all have bad days, good days, whatever. But yeah. if I'm having a moment, it's like I'll pick up one of those notes and look at it and go, okay, this is my why. Mm -hmm. um this is why i did this and i helped somebody so check the box mission accomplished like we're all good i love it i do the same thing as well um i have it both digitally but i prefer it uh just like just like actual like i have like a binder so i'll just go through it and and, and i'll just like just keep me going you know even on those hardest days so yeah i, like I mean sometimes you just need that little kick in your ass to yeah <laughs> <your> right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yep. And then as far as like spreading out your message to the world, you said you're posting on LinkedIn. Do you use like any other platforms? Um, really, it's been LinkedIn because that's where the bulk of my followers are. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is, um, you know, LinkedIn and Twitter, but I would say primarily LinkedIn. And the reason why, you know, well, I could take this and I could blast it out on Instagram or whatever. Number one, the bulk of my network is on LinkedIn. Number two, I kind of look at this as a business issue, right? It's a social issue, but where it occurs is in the business world. And so almost everybody that's reached out to me has reached out with a story of this happened at work. And that's why I've chosen to really use LinkedIn as the primary channel to share this. Um, you know, again, I, I think that as a community on LinkedIn, um, and I think LinkedIn has, it's pivoted 
um, in the last couple months, right? People are sharing a lot more personal content on there. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm seeing sort of the criticism that is, is turning into Facebook, but I think what people need to realize is that the business world has long asked us, right, to bring our best self to work. Um, in recent years, they've talked about bringing your whole self to work. And so there's this intersectionality between personal and professional that exists, right? If you've got something traumatic going on in your life, um, that plays into how you're performing, how you're showing up at work. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're seeing people start to bring their whole selves and be very vulnerable on LinkedIn, right? Whether they're talking about, you know, I've hit a hundred days of sobriety or I contemplated suicide last year, mm -hmm. or I just got laid off. I need help, right? People are showing their human side. Um, and I, there are days when I think it can be overwhelming with all of that on LinkedIn. And I don't think that's the original intent of LinkedIn, but by the same token, we're all people and workplaces are made up of people. And so I, I think we all have a responsibility to help each other. And one of the ways that we do that is by sharing experiences. Mm -hmm. Now, you can't always do that live today. A lot of people still aren't back in the office. And because of digital, we've gotten to know and meet and curate relationships with people that we never would have crossed paths with in the physical world. Some of my closest circle now is my digital circle. Same of here. People <laughs> that I, some of them I've never met in person, but these are people that I've gotten to know over the past three years and that I trust. And that if I had a problem, I would go to them for help. And yet I've never met them. I've never sat down for a cup of coffee with them. Mm -hmm. So I am. Um, I, you know, I think there's a lot of value in that, but the, the short answer to your question, right? That was a pretty circuitous answer. Short answer to your question was just that I, I think it's a business issue with harassment in the workplace. And um, that's where my network was. So I ask a lot of people that question and um, they'll normally say, oh, you know, I'm just on uh, uh, Facebook or Instagram, whatever platform uh, I will do all these sort of like I'll do TikTok and like YouTube as well, but I don't have the time to like, it's like some sort of like, uh, um, I guess you could say excuse, but you gave like a really like probably one of the best answers to that question I asked as far <laughs> as like, uh, you kind of like knew your audience issue they were going through and you knew where to find them. And um, sure you can make an Instagram, TikTok, and you could probably like make an impact there. But like, as they say, like um, 80% of your results comes for like 20% of your efforts. And for you, that's just LinkedIn. So I love that. I love how you focus in on that and identified that and just uh, doubling down on LinkedIn to really uh, build a following. And not only that, but also spread awareness um, about uh, a workplace harassment. And um, I have two questions for you. How did you grow your following to 10,000 followers on LinkedIn? And what are the different types of like workplace harassment Sure, both great questions. So, um, you know, I'd love to give you the the secret sauce for how I grew the followers on LinkedIn, but it just kind of happened organically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I used to post, and I, I, I go in fits and spurts, honestly. 
right? Um, there are times when I'm really good about posting and you know this as a content creator, consistency mm -hmm. is key, right? You yeah. have to be there all the time. And so what I would say is that there are times when I have the energy and I do it and I feel like I have something really valuable to say. There are times when I don't do it because I don't feel like I have anything valuable to say and it would just be noise and therefore it's not authentic. And I know that goes against every rule of building a following on social, right? But it's just kind of how I operate. Um, plus I'm a people person. Like I cannot think of a single time that if somebody has messaged me on LinkedIn, I don't respond back to them. Like I always respond back. Um, even if it's the sales outreach for some service that clearly somebody hasn't researched me and I am never going to use it, they mm -hmm. always get a response from me. And it's not just the, you know, click the thing for the queued up response, but I will always give them a personal response and tell them, you know what, thank you for considering me as a potential client for your product, your service, your whatever. Um, there's not an opportunity here. So since time is your most valuable asset, I'd prefer you to invest it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, but, and I, I think because of that, people are like, oh, like so many times people don't even respond to me, but this person responded and they were kind and courteous and I'm going to follow mm -hmm. them. Um, so I think that's part of it. And then um, your second question was, the different types of uh, harassment within the harassment workplace. Within the workplace. Yeah. So, you know, it's, um, there's sexual harassment, there is discrimination, right? You can be harassed on the basis of your, um, your gender. You can be harassed based on race. You can be mm -hmm. harassed based on your sexual orientation or identification. I mean, there's a number of different ways that you can be harassed in the workplace or not ways, but reasons why you can be harassed. The, the ways that you can be harassed, it can be verbal harassment, um, you know, somebody making off color jokes or inappropriate mm -hmm. comments. Um, you can be physically harassed, right? Anybody who's touching you, who's rubbing up against you, um, that doesn't belong in the workplace, right? So there's physical harassment and then there's behavioral harassment which are things in the case of sexual harassment, um, there's a behavior known as elevator eyes, which I suffered from quite frequently with my harassal. And that is basically somebody looking at you inappropriately in a way that makes you uncomfortable. Um, this would happen to me a lot. I would get what I refer to as the full body scan, right? So every interaction that I would have with this person um, I would always get scanned from head to toe. And it was usually followed up with a comment. And so there's a difference in intonation with your voice and how things are perceived. You know, it's one mm -hmm. thing if somebody comes up to you and they said, you know what, I, that outfit is really nice. You look super professional today. Versus somebody looking you up and down and saying, I love the way that skirt fits your body. Right. Those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's the behavioral things as well. Um, the, the little nuances uh, that come along with either the verbal or behavioral. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, all of that, I think people need to recognize it for what it is. 
and recognize that when we go to work, we're there to do a job. And like I said earlier, one of the things for me is I was a member of the executive management team. This was a peer. And my role there was not to provide some sort of visual pleasure for that individual. It was to be a contributing member of the organization. And so the fact that there were never comments made on, you know what, that was a great idea, or this is working really well, or thanks for your help on that. Um, congratulations on whatever you just did that worked for us. There was never any of that. So it really devalued me as a professional and a contributor and placed me, objectified me into someone that was just there for this person's pleasure, if you will, mm -hmm. right? That there was no value to my being there in their mind except for whatever gratuitous purpose they had in, in their brain. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that answer. Yeah, well, uh, when it came to like workplace harassment, I had like a few ideas in mind, but I didn't realize like how many, um, um, uh, it's not like what like what you say, but like how you say, it, like when like when it's said, and it take into account all that stuff. And not only like, just like uh, sexually, but also like race, also religion and all sure. that stuff as well. Yeah. And one really big thing that most people don't realize is that sexual harassment is not just physical, right? So when I when I wrote the book, I had a lot of people, men specifically, reach out to me and they were like, hey, I just read this book and thank you for educating me because I didn't realize that sexual harassment didn't have to be physical. I thought for it to be a sexual harassment, like you literally had to grope somebody, touch somebody. Um, and that's not the case, right? So there are multiple kinds of sexual harassment and it doesn't always involve touching somebody. Mm -hmm. In my case, my harasser hadn't yet touched me. Um, I think given the opportunity, he may have thought about it, but it didn't happen. It was all verbal and behavioral. Mm -hmm. I saw you have... Um... Where was it at? You had a program called the Empowered Employee Program. Could you talk a little bit more about that? I saw that yeah. on your website. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, so I am doing training. Um, you can basically hire me to train you or your employees um, on how to navigate through workplace issues. So there's really two facets to it. One is for employers to teach employers, right? How to avoid the red flags with hiring somebody that may be a problem. The second one is for employees. Um, one of the most important things that we can do is to support each other in the workplace. And so mm -hmm. using a technique called bystander intervention training, you can actually help somebody who's being harassed if you see it. Um, we all have an obligation, right, to make our workplaces safer. And so by using different bystander intervention techniques, um, you can actually pull somebody out from being harassed. So for example, if I observe somebody who appears to be in an uncomfortable situation, mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure what's going on. I just know that they look uncomfortable, right? One of those techniques is to approach those two people and say to the person, you know what, excuse me, I am so sorry to interrupt. However, something really critical just came up and I need to borrow 
Mary for just a second. Um, would you excuse us and get Mary out of that situation? Right. And then tell her, like, I saw what was happening. Do you need help? Is something going on? Um, as a bystander, you can also document what you saw happening mm -hmm. and be able to provide that documentation to the person or be able to go to HR and say, listen, I saw something going on. Didn't look quite right. You guys may want to know about this. Mm -hmm. And with that, is it like uh, for like small businesses, or medium, large? Anybody. This can happen anywhere, right? So yeah. um, small business, medium business, large business, um, it happens everywhere. So I will train anybody uh, mm -hmm. that is interested in having a safer workplace. Um, so, you know, if you've got a women's group, if you're part of a professional association, um, women in technology, for example, mm -hmm. right? And you, you want to be trained as a group, even though you all work in different workplaces, hit me up. I'm happy to do that training for you. And with that training, is it like um, uh, in person? Is it uh, over Zoom? How many days long is it? Could you? Oh, uh, it's just, a, just an hour and we can do it either in person or we can do it in Zoom. So in person, gives you the ability to demonstrate some of these things mm -hmm. on Zoom. We talk about it a little bit more than we demonstrate it, um, but it can happen either way. I like it. And then just for the audience, where can people go to like, uh, uh, you know, uh, book you as a speaker, book you for the uh, Empowered Employee Program? And uh, yeah, yeah, where can they find you? My website, which is, this is really easy to remember, harasshole.com. <laughs> I like, yeah, I like that domain. <laughs> I just typed it in and it, yeah, it was, yes, yeah, short, straight to the point. I like it. <laughs> Good stuff. But uh, I, I remember um, kind of a funny side story, but there was another title that we were considering for the book. Yeah. And so, you know, as a marketer, like I believe in the power of data and testing things, right? And doing mm -hmm. research. And so, Initially, we had a short list of five prospective titles. And I said to the publisher, listen, like we're not gonna go out and do formal research on this, but I'm gonna test this on LinkedIn. I'm gonna run a poll and see what people think about these titles. Mm -hmm. And so I ran a poll. Um, the poll got a lot of views. I think it had about 20,000 views. But That's a good sample really, size. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it had really low engagement. Mm -hmm. um, like only, I think maybe 120, 130 people mm -hmm. voted on it. And so I went back to the publisher and I said, you know what? I'm like, what this tells me is that people didn't feel very strongly about any of these titles. They didn't engage, they didn't cast a vote or you know, put their voice on it. I'm like, so we're doing something a little bit different. And by the time I brought this to them, I'd already made sure that harass hole was available. I'd secured the domain, I'd secured um, all of the social handles for it. Mm -hmm. And I had filed a trademark application um, with the trademark and patent office. Mm -hmm. And cause I got big visions of doing don't be a harass hole merch. Um, I, love that. <laughs> but I, so I went back to my publisher. I'm like, we're going in a different direction. Like I've already got the URL. I've got the social handles. I've got a trademark application pending. We're calling this book harass hole. And I, we were on Zoom when we had this conversation yeah. and I just remember them like staring at me and kind of blinking. I'm like, trust me, I'm a marketer. I'm like, this is what we need to call the book. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I, I can't tell you like how many people have come to me laughing about the title or they're like yeah. <laughs> the title, but the title really is what it needed to be. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I have to say, like, I don't often pat myself on the back, but I was pretty proud of that. <laughs> I love how you had like the vision for it. Like right, like right when you like saw the name, you're like, that's it. You, you, you already saw people like using it in sentences, the merch, just like uh, the workshop, the workshops and everything. I love that. <laughs> got to have a plan. You know yep. that, right? Got to have yep. a plan. Yeah. Uh, I got two more questions for you. And okay. then, uh, yeah, we'll wrap this up. But my uh, the first question is, um, do you have like any exciting plans for the future? I always have exciting plans for the future. Um, <laughs> right. Life is too short to not be doing stuff. So um, I actually I have a trip to New York in a couple weeks that I'm super excited about. I'm going to New York a lot. I always say that I'm a native Chicagoan, an Atlanta resident and a spiritual New Yorker. Um, mm-hmm. So I try and spend a lot of time in New York, but I am going to New York for a couple of days with a very dear friend of mine who I have not seen in four years. Um, and, um, she is old enough to be my mom. She's kind of like my surrogate mom. Uh, mm-hmm. and we have never taken a girl's trip together. So we're taking a girl's trip. Um, right. super excited about that. And then, um, planning out our first international trip in a couple of years and have a laundry list of places that we're looking at. Not quite sure where we're going. Um, but as I said earlier, like I used to do three international trips a year. And I love going. That's really good. Wow. <laughs> I, oh, there's, there's a whole big ass world out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a combination of like going to the typical places like Italy or whatever that mm-hmm. people go. And then I like to go to the off the beaten path places, too. I think I mentioned our last trip was to Cambodia, mm-hmm. um, not somewhere that most people go, but like really rich culture and history there. And I, I wanted to go see that and experience that. Um, so we try and balance it with those trips. Um, so yeah, and I am actually thinking about possibly a second book. So I like it. It's a lot of writing though, but hey, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I have to say, like for somebody that told the publisher, I can't write that kind of content. It's too much. I, aside from the content, or the subject matter of the book, I actually loved the process of writing the book. Because one thing that was really important to me was that I had creative rights over the book. So I did not let the publisher or the editor touch my content at all, except for like grammar and a little bit of structure. So every single word in that is my story, my words, literally straight from the horse's mouth. Um, I didn't let them play with the story at all. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoyed the process of doing that. I, you know, I think I'm that sort of weirdo ambidextrous person that I'm kind of half data and half creative mm-hmm. and being able to write that was a little bit of a creative process, not with the content, the content is all factual, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed the process of storytelling. Um, it's something that I've done as a marketer and a communicator career-wise is to tell stories of brands. This was a little bit different. This was telling a very personal story, but I enjoyed the creative aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I like it. And then my last question for you is, um, 
if you could, I know you mentioned like being outdoors and traveling, but if you could do one thing every day for the rest of your life, what would that be? Mm. One thing every day, and I do this anyway, um, but it's something I love is I'm a coffee person and I like really good coffee. Okay. Uh, so like having my cup of coffee is that's my moment for the day. Like when I smell that coffee brewing, mm -hmm. I'm still working on the cup of coffee. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but having that cup of coffee and even like when I travel, I like to find really good coffee wherever I am. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's some countries that like they have coffee culture. Um, when I was in Argentina, we actually went to a coffee farm um, and looked at the whole process. Yeah. There was a little coffee shop in Barcelona called Satan's Coffee. That's this little tiny shop and like had amazing coffee. Mm -hmm. um, so my one like thing that makes me happy besides working out two things, actually having my <laughs> cup of coffee and um, my dog. Like I, I love the fact that I get to spend quality time at home with my dog because I traveled so much for work mm -hmm. that I essentially only lived at home on the weekends. So getting to be at home and spend some catch-up time with the four-legged creature, yeah, <laughs> um, that's been nice too. I love how you, uh, um, I kind of have like um, um, a similar hobby as well, coffee, but specific, specifically like taking my laptop and working at different uh, coffee shops specifically like the the mom and pop pop ones um the ones where it's like you go in there and there's like I don't know maybe it was like it used to be a auto garage but now it's like a coffee shop you can kind of yep. see like the windows it used to be like like a garage door just like just like the small things that kind of gives it character uh, <laughs> I'm with you on so that here's right here's my offer to you next time you're in Atlanta I'm going to take you to a coffee shop here that I just discovered that actually is a garage. It's a motorcycle garage. Now, I don't ride. I'm not a motorcycle person. Yeah. But this place is really, really cool, and they have awesome coffee. Is it in Smyrna? It's not. By... But I know what you're talking. I know where you're talking yeah. about. You're talking, <laughs> you're talking about Red Coffee. Yep, I used to go there a lot. Yep. I, I love nope. that place. This place is actually it's in Alpharetta, and it's called Pops Coffee. Okay. And it's inside a Triumph motorcycle dealership. All right. I guess and next time that is, I <laughs> They have awesome coffee there. Um, like great pour overs, really good coffee, and just a cool environment. So uh, next time you're in Atlanta, we're going to Pops for coffee. Sounds good. I'll probably be there maybe around like Thanksgiving or Christmas. I haven't figured out that time yet, but uh, I not got yet. I'm gonna hit you yep. up for that right there. Hit me up. We're going good. for coffee. Yeah, but but hey, Lisa, thank you for spending uh, time every day to really uh, hop on the Finding Your Purpose podcast and sharing your uh, amazing story. You know, <laughs> and uh, uh, as far as like your socials and your website and all that stuff, I'll have it down below in the description. Uh, uh, down below it's gonna this is a youtube podcast so i can like utilize the description and everyone can go find you there but uh yeah thanks for uh showing up today and sharing your story and thanks for having me <laughs> yeah. this has been a ton of fun it's been a great way to spend an hour yep absolutely all right that's it for this podcast you guys and i'll see you guys in the next one see ya mm -hmm.